Hey, it's Liz Kelly. Here's what Ringer content you should be looking out for before the end of the week. From the star of Slow News Day, check out Kevin Clark's new video series, Worst Picks of the Week, where he offers up the worst NFL and pop culture bets each week. This will be up every Thursday throughout the NFL season, and you can watch on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. Also, up on the site, we have two pieces on The Good Place, and Juliet Lippman is writing about the 20-year anniversary of Felicity. Check it out on TheRinger.com. The Press Box is the media podcast. We are not allowed to be as angry as Lindsey Graham. We are Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer here with an emergency edition of this podcast because, David, we were both glued to the spectacle today of the hearings before the Senate Judiciary Committee and testimony from Judge Brett Kavanaugh and Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who has accused Kavanaugh of sexual assault. So many things. We want to need to talk about David. I think, first of all, here's first impression. Okay. This was a play in two acts. Our mm-hmm. pal Justin Charity uh, correctly said earlier this week that the Senate Judiciary Committee is a theater. Act one was somber, I think mostly respectful. Um, you know, the reaction on Twitter. And elsewhere was sort of quiet. And to steal a line I heard from Ari Melber on MSNBC before we walked in here, you know, we all, we've talked so much these last couple of months about how do you find uh, a respectful forum for someone uh, who's a victim to or alleges she is a victim to come forward and tell her story. Yeah. I, I don't want to compliment the, compliment the United States Senate, but – I felt that was at least halfway there this morning. And that part of this whole spectacle was actually, um, heartening is the right word, but was actually, you know, you were able to watch it and say, oh, wow, this woman is getting uh, a chance to tell her story. Yes. And then the second half. So that was sort of the opposite, wasn't it? it? What a bizarre, I mean, uh, um, you know, there's times when, uh, times when you know my grasp on English uh, fails me, but I think when the English language doesn't doesn't quite can't quite comprehend, I mean, can't quite uh, express um, what we're really thinking. And this was one of those days in which you would have used riveted for both halves of the of the uh, day, but and, and meant totally different things. I think. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, Doctor Ford was incredibly. I mean, it was just. I think. Uh, Large, I mean, partly because of what you said, um, because it was a forum for her to be just kind of so forthright and human, and 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 it seemed, it did seem almost unbelievably appropriate um, uh, venue uh, at times, and then the second half came along. And uh, it was something completely different. Yeah, and I think the the reason the morning session was like that was an accident almost of the way, you know, we talked about earlier this week that Republicans, it seems so unrestrained in talking mm-hmm. about Ford, whether it was Orrin Hatch, whether it was the president himself. What they wound up doing is ceding their questions to this prosecutor from Maricopa County in Arizona, Sarah mm-hmm. Mitchell, 
And so what you had was, first of all, she would talk in five-minute increments and really never built to any sort of dramatic moments at all because she was asking very small bore questions and doing them in such a contained period of time, after which you'd go to a Democrat who was essentially saying, thanking Dr. Ford and bringing out uh, emphasizing moments of her testimony. Sure. But so that that was that was, I think, the biggest part of it, right, was that, you know, Republicans had decided essentially to sit it out. Um, so, you know, and, and, and as some people pointed out on Twitter, Mitchell is, is a prosecutor. So she's almost more comfortable questioning people like Brett Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. uh, someone who's accused of these kinds of things. And instead she, she was asking these small questions. She never really dealt with the incident itself, the attack itself. She was sort of pressing on details like, you know, how'd you get to the party? How'd you get home? Parts of the story that that Ford said she couldn't remember. But, you know, it was all done in this very kind of small bore tone. And I think we saw on Twitter, uh, both at the first break and then after her testimony, that there was a lot of panic uh, within the White House and within GOP circles. That one, she was incredibly credible. Her testimony was incredibly credible. And two, that, you know, people like Donald Trump who were saying things like, you know, I didn't I didn't I didn't realize how credible this woman's going to be. We've got a big political problem here. Mm-hmm. The, the political problem is real. Uh, but I think that under that that goes back to the reason why the, the platform was so sort of functional today. I mean, the, the Republican uh, the, the Republicans who were who were running the show in there were operating out of a position of i think abject fear you know i mean i think think that and i think that that's and i think that one you know that's why they they had someone speaking for them um and and i think that they're you know i i mean if if, i i my i theorize that they that you know the idea and i thought it was pretty effective despite how compelling dr ford was it was you know it was just a sort of to split it up into these five minute chunks and to sort and and even without anyone interrogating her in any kind of serious way, maybe that that it would just come off as just so piecemeal, so variegated that it would that it wouldn't really amount to much one way or the other. And then Kavanaugh comes out with just this broadside and and that's all that anybody remembers, right? I mean that 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 would have been the I guess the game plan. But they're operating out of this fear in the first for the first half of the day. And 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 Again, not to get on too like high and mighty about it, but you know, I mean, if only our politicians always operated out of from a sense of fear of what their constituencies might think, then maybe we would have more functional <laughs> moments like the first half of today. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a unique situation, right? Because it's not only the 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 accusations are not only disgusting and explosive, but we're forty odd days until the midterms, so it's this unique. And we're at a, a very and, and and we're at a moment that, regardless of whether or not anybody knows what to do. In this, in the Me Too era, there is not a political consultant that can speak with any sort of like old war stories about how to, how a politician should be dealing with any of this right now, mm-hmm. right? There's no, but nobody can whisper in their ear and tell them what they do and what to do. And so I think that they're all just very concerned. I mean, they're they're scared, right? I mean, they don't they don't they they don't want to say the thing that makes that that will make them unelectable uh, without without even realizing it's happening. Yeah, I I heard I heard so many predictions today. I was watching mostly in NBC. Uh, which had a pretty good lineup of uh, Savannah Guthrie and Lester Holt and Chuck Todd and Megyn Kelly and mm-hmm. Andrea Mitchell. And, you know, 
I love when we get into confident prediction territory because yeah. everything has just basically everything we've said over the last couple of years has been wrong. And mm. Chuck Todd makes this persuasive case saying, well, you know, I think it's almost like you you lose if you win here, right? The, this is this is sort of becoming the conventional wisdom about this, that if somehow after today's events, Kavanaugh wins a very narrow vote and gets on the Supreme Court, that Democrats are going to be even more energized in November and to go to the polls. But if Democrats succeed in thwarting the nomination or delaying the nomination somehow past the midterms, that Republicans are now going to have this burning issue uh, and they'll be more energized in an off-year election when they shouldn't be. But I'm just like, do, do, do we really – do we know this? <laughs> do we think? No. Do we no. know you can anything? Talk yourself in, you can talk yourself into circles about this over and over again, right? I mean, it, it's a never-ending spiral of – I mean, listen, I don't even know if we fully touched on this earlier this week, the last time we talked, but – you know, there's a part of this Kavanaugh thing that is certainly that certainly goes to like the only way that you can explain, not the only way, one of the only ways you can explain sticking with Kavanaugh so uh, intensely, intently, is this concept of winning, right? I think uh, I think it was I think it was either Steve Bannon or an anonymous source that that was believed to be Steve Bannon said <laughs> to somebody this week that that losing that if Kavanaugh is not elected, even though they'll get whoever they put up next. That sort of the, the Trump's base perceives his presidency to be a series of wins, despite no matter how the rest of everyone else sees it, uh, and that will be a, that will be a loss that will, that cannot be spun any other way. So there's this feeling that like, like, you know, certainly if you really believe that Kavanaugh is an innocent man, then you would want to stick with him, and you wouldn't want to ruin his life in such a way as to put him up in this position to get taken down and then abandon him, right? But st but just from a purely political perspective, you know, when these things start coming out, maybe you do softly, you know, just just slow it down a little bit, or maybe you do, you know, find who see who's next on the roster, or you know, maybe you really investigate him ahead of time and you don't get in this position, but whatever. Um, but I do think that there's this concept of like winning, and and so and and that's that doesn't even that wasn't even taken into account in the things that we knew that you were just listing, right? I mean, if he's if he doesn't make it, then does that make that that makes Republicans more energized, or does it make them less energized because all seems lost, or because Trump seems ineffective, or because whatever? I mean, you can say anything and 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 make a, and make a case for it right now. I mean, this is. Not that there's much of a distinction between the political shows and like first take, but you know, I mean, Stephen A. Smith could be making more sense on these on these post Kavanaugh hearing shows than anybody else right now. I would love to hear what he thinks at this moment in our uh, in our republic. Couple other notes from the first half of this. One was this picture that was going around of the eleven male Republican senators, sort of all <laughs> <laughs> gazing gazing at uh, Dr. Ford, which was pretty incredible. Um, Donald Trump Jr.'s tweet saying, I'm no psychology professor. That was a great way to start a tweet. But it does mm -hmm. seem weird to me that someone could have a selective fear of flying. Ford's fear of flying was one of the uh, topics covered today. Can't do it to testify, but for vacation, well, it's not a problem at all. Um, and then, you know, again, I think when I when I think about the first half of this, though, I think what was so powerful, I saw, I saw a couple of people on Twitter saying, well, there's no new information being offered here. We didn't learn anything today. But hearing, you know, that's not what this was about, right? This was about hearing Dr. Ford's testimony and being able to judge whether, you know, being able to hear it, being able to see her, being able to see what kind of person she is, the best you can judge in a, in a short window uh, in a very fraught environment like the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee. But 
it was it was so I mean just I was so arrested watching her and even when she would get questioned uh, by Ms. Mitchell you know she's constantly referring to her notes you could see what kind of person she was how careful you know even to confirm a date lots of mm-hmm. times being you know very very what I would describe as non-defensive to questioning you know saying like I just don't understand what you're are you asking me this are you asking me that you know in this very kind of innocent way of like I would love to help you but I'm not quite sure what you're asking me. Mm-hmm. Um, no moments or very few moments where she was very defensive, but where she'd like, you know, bark back at a question or even seem to be upset at being asked something. Um, it was very, very powerful to hear her, uh, speak those words. And again, and even this is even from the right side of the cable news dial where, where we know Trump lives. Chris Wallace uh, said it was a disaster for the Republicans on Fox. Well, Judge Napolitano, one more. Uh, Ford is extremely credible, and Rachel Mitchell is not laying a glove on her. The president cannot be happy with this. Go ahead. Yeah, and then, but then you know when they're when the more level-headed talking heads weren't talking, they were just replaying excerpts of her fumbling at her papers and asking for time to answer questions. Um, so they, I mean, it was you talked you asked last week how this was immediately a partisan issue. All this whole conversation, and they were. They were, I mean, it was nutso coming out of there. Not that it was necessarily better on the other side, but um, it's amazing to have watched that and to come away, uh, you know, feeling so kind of uh, compelled by it. And then just to see that that their AV department had already started taking it, you know, dissect, already started dissecting it. Everything's, um, con- everything's content. Also, Donald Trump, I mean, it's I, I, there's no reason to get into like a debate of, uh, I mean, uh, the war of, of tweets with Don Trump Jr., but it's, you know, I'm pretty sure that same armchair psychology would apply to his father's selective germophobia that he brings up only when it suits him. So, I mean, it's, you know, kind of neither here nor there. It was also became, it didn't become clear really until the second part of it, because you're saying, what what's the Republican line going to be here? What 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 is the way, if they're not going to... Um, go after Dr. Ford's testimony. How do they make an argument here? And it became clear in the second half that their argument went something like this. Dr. Ford is a credible witness. We believe something happened to her. Um, But we believe that this is a coordinated political hit job by the Democrats and that they're using Dr. Ford. And I think you saw that several times in the second half today. Uh, people say various versions of Dr. Ford is a is a victim of the Democrats, you know, <laughs> not a not a victim of Brett Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh. And if we and if we say it loudly enough, then everyone's going to believe it. <laughs> but um, that was that became clear because, it, you know, I'm sitting there watching it and you're like, this this prosecutor isn't isn't really casting anything into doubt. And then the couple of things she focused on were who had paid for Ford's polygraph test. Uh, the fear of flying thing I mentioned, uh, a couple, you know, things like, you know, when 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 specifically she came forward, there was a lot of questions about why Diane Feinstein's office hadn't brought this uh, accusation forward sooner. Lots of things like that. But it it's a very narrow line. It almost like I said, it almost goes like this. We be, we believe this woman in the sense that something happened to her. It either wasn't Kavanaugh or there's not enough evidence to suggest it's Kavanaugh. At the same time, this is all a Democratic hit job. So you should. Uh, confirm Kavanaugh. That was basically the line I think that I picked up through this whole thing. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think that if I think that that it was 
in a sense, the first half from the Republican point of view, it was run out the clock. You know, I mean, obviously, if they had if they had done it in a more functional way, if you would let even if you would let all of the Republican time go at once so that their their one questioner could kind of go through a series of questions in a logical fashion. I think that would have only reflected better for Dr. Ford. And I think that they knew that, too. Um, they kind of wanted to make it as as just sort of un recapable as, as possible, you know, as unemotional, as, un, as, as unspectacular as possible. And I think you're right for the second half. Um, first of all, so right afterwards, Trump, uh, President Trump tweeted, Judge Kavanaugh showed America exactly why I nominated him. And we'll get to a lot of this stuff later, but I, I have one line I want to focus on. His testimony was powerful, honest, and riveting. Democrats' search and destroy strategy is disgraceful, and this process has been a total sham and effort to delay, obstruct, and resist. The Senate must vote. The search and destroy thing is what I want to kind of hone in on because that was a line from Kavanaugh's opening statement mm-hmm. that was repeated by at least one Republican senator during the course of questioning and now has been record, re, 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 now has been repeated by the president. Now, if it was a great line that they just latched onto, that's fine. But I think I think this is one of those cases where uh, you know organic hashtags uh, and or employing organic hashtags doesn't necessarily behoove your movement because it makes Anything that makes this your side, this side of the argument seem organized is bad, right? Any and and it does it, it did feel like that is a little microcosm for the entire Republican side. Not that they shouldn't have planned ahead. We of course they did, but that that they that it all felt very much. I said around the clock earlier. It felt very much like they were sort of boxing out the 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 not just Doctor Ford, but the but but the reason why we were all there. And focusing it, and you, they would say just that she was she was a victim too. And we were just going to focus in on process, just focus in on the legitimacy of an FBI investigation, uh, and 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 you know, and if and if we and if we act self if we act self righteous enough about our indignation about the Democrats and their search and destroy and their sneak attacks and whatever else, then that self righteousness will propel us into a vote tomorrow. Or Saturday or whenever it is. And and we can, and, and you know, that takes us right back to where we were the last time you and I spoke, which is this sort of, you know, kabuki theater. It doesn't really matter what was said as long as we're acting like now is the time to do the next thing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I would just say that it sort of depends on who the audience is for that particular strategy, for the hashtag mm-hmm. strategy. I think there's kind of three audiences. There's the president. There's the three or four swing votes in the Senate, uh, which is like Corker, Collins, um, Murkowski, whom I'm forgetting, uh-huh. uh, potentially Jeff Flake, right? Yeah. Uh, there's that. There's there's the president who you don't want to throw, who they're trying to convince, or Kavanaugh's at least trying to convince not to just throw him aside. There's a couple of votes you need to win uh, confirmation. And then there's the broad American public, which you may have, and, and these things may not be, you may not be able to tend to all these constituencies at the same time. Essentially. But yeah, I think I think they're much, you know, and again, I think I I think and again, I don't want to salute the Senate. I don't want to (laughs) salute grandstanding Senate Republicans, especially. But I think it says something about the Me Too movement and the success of the movement that you can say they were very, very weary of laying any kind of, you know, of of pursuing any kind of attack against Ford directly. Mm-hmm. They were much, much, much more comfortable pursuing an attack against the Democrats. 
and this is a hit job. As Kavanaugh said in his opening statement, this is the Clinton is a revenge of the Clintons essentially for losing the 2016 election. <laughs> um, that and and you know what? And as it was we, craziness. As fire up the base, winning arguments go. I think you know if you if you have a bad hand right now. And as some, as many people have said, you know, other presidents probably would have put aside this nominee at this point. Uh, if you have bad hands, this is all a political hit job is probably, you know, the the best bad hand I think they can play right now in the media. I mean, I'm, I not, wish sure was what, a, I'm not sure what the other argument is. You, we're the same age. You you, you were a little bit more uh, you were a little bit more invested in politics early in our you were invested earlier than I was. Um. Did did even did did the did the Democrats or the liberals of the world buy the vast right wing conspiracy argument at the time? Was that was that a compelling case <laughs> with the when the Clintons used it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it, in the same way, it, it is it's all all vast conspiracies are at least partly true. Right? It was yeah. the American Spectator and the, the Arkansas Project guys who were going mm-hmm. after Bill Clinton. Even if now we look back and say Bill Clinton did a lot of bad stuff. Bill Clinton yeah. was, did a lot of really bad stuff, and it's the same thing here. You can, and the one point, say, "Boy, this is a, this is a really credible advocate," you know, uh, accusation against Judge well, Kavanaugh. And at the same time, say, "Well, who's making who? Who are the people that are handling the accusation?" Essentially, it's Diane Feinstein. That's that's a Feinstein. Yeah, that's I mean, and the, and the the very the last within the last half hour of the hearing, uh, jumping ahead, was this just sort of period of just very bizarre dissembling of like. Whether or not she, her office was responsible for leaking the story after she insisted that she was trying to respect Dr. Ford's request for privacy. Um, and then there was just great disagreement on the floor over whether or not the actual letter that she wrote to Diane Feinstein, to Senator Feinstein, had been leaked. No one seemed to have the answer, which was just fantastic because, like, that are that the Senate has not reached the same level of functionality that like any podcast has, where you just yell at your producer to Google a thing, you know, and you find out within fifteen seconds. They couldn't even figure that part out. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, and it was Ryan, all it, Ryan Grimm from the Intercept. We should note came out on Twitter, the guy who broke this, who, who revealed the existence of the letter, and said that in fact that that Feinstein's Stein staff had not leaked the letter. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that, and I, I mean, we, we all, we were all there when all this started, when you know that started leaking, and it was just, it was, a, it was a real word of mouth. We hear that she has a letter, sort of thing, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was, but, but that combined with, I mean, just the process, the FBI investigation was a lot of today, you know, I mean, and, and I, I, I already mentioned that the lack the, of FBI investigation. Sure, and whether or not, he, and whether or not, you know, uh, Kavanaugh was open, I mean, it was willing to ask the FBI to continue the investigation, which he seemed just kind of hilariously unwilling to do. It's like, if you're going to just go in, just go in, you know? I mean, I don't know why he was, I, I don't know. I mean, he seemed... His answer, his answer over and over again was, I'll do whatever the committee wants to do, knowing full well that the Republicans on the committee didn't want to consent to a more wide-ranging FBI investigation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like he was ready for the first phase, not the second phase. Now you said there's multiple audiences, and you're right. I mean, the 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 you know Trump's base or even the Republican base, uh, I think, were really reassured by what happened today. And I think that there's an again, you can you can understand the argument. I mean, you can understand the point of view that you know this is maybe this is exactly how one would act uh, if one were accused of something they didn't do, and they were and their family was you know. Uh, facing the consequences for it, and their career was was at risk of being over, and and you know, and all that. Um, and and there were, I think, there were a lot of people that reacted the exact. I mean, I saw them online reacting the exact same way Trump did. We got a fighter out there. This, you know, he's he's crushing this. He's 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 every. He, we love him even more now than we did before. And people people said that Trump had was dissatisfied 
with his performance a couple of days ago on Mar- with Martha McCallum on Fox News. That sure. he seemed in in the Trumpian worldview to be very wimpy. So here he comes out and he's almost, we should just say this for people who didn't watch this, he's almost yelling at the beginning of his opening statement. And then it kind oh, of, yeah. and then and then a couple of minutes later, I mean, he's crying uh, and choking up and gulping <laughs> down water. Uh, and then, it, and it's kind of like self-pitying, you know, it goes from anger, you know, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going to chase me out of this process to, yeah. you know, cr- crack, you know, tearing up when he's talking about his daughter, one of his daughters, when he's talking about his dad, he said something like, you know, to the effect of, I'm never going to be able to, I probably never be able to teach law again. I'll never be able to coach women's basketball again. Um, it, and was, then talking, it was a remarkable and then, emotional performance, I will and say. Then, and then segueing directly into his love for beer, which went on for about 15 minutes. I, I, like, gonna, be, I, I like beer. I still like beer was the quote it's I wrote it, down. The enti- my, 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 entire, my entire review of, the fir- of, the, his, of his opening statement was that it was a cross between a Toby Keith song and a barstool emergency press conference. Uh, but the... <laughs> But I, I, I mean that in the most loving way possible. But that, but like the 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 beer parts were, I mean, the only thing that I liked about that is that it it, se- it seemed uh, the 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 yelling didn't seem d- didn't strike me as like particularly human or or more human than a nor- than his normal presentation. Um, I don't know that it was like a put on, but it didn't seem like this was the moment where his humanity shone through. But his like just inarticulate repetition of his love for beer did seem very human. Did seem, it did seem sort of like a moment um, where he had, he, you know, he was not totally on cruise control. His lack of humanity has been one of the things that's really come out in this, right? Because he, he is, he refuses to concede even things about high school. I, you know, even to say things like I drank a lot, I heard bad things that happened, but of course I would never be involved in anything like that, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Every mm-hmm. everything was I was a great student. I was on the football team. I think he had a line today. I would have never have uh, drank that much when there was football practice the next day, which as a couple of people pointed out on Twitter, doesn't sound like any football player in the history of football. Yep. Um, you know, I, I just you know, I was all I was always I was so busy. Well, I was number one in my class, et cetera, et cetera. There was lots and lots of resume stuff today. And by the way, as a lot of people noted, this is not this is not the normal Appoint judicial appointee, especially Supreme Court appointee before the Senate, is not barking back at senators, and especially no. in this case, female senators like Amy Klobuchar, uh, with that bit about have you ever been blackout drunk? I mean, like, whoa, <laughs> that was, you know, the whole. It's funny because I think judicial temperament is one of those, one of those in in normal times things that get brought up, right? Just like presidential temperament. We'd mm-hmm. kind of gone past that on Kavanaugh because there were so many serious issues. And this that almost brought that back today, that opening statement, when you're like, whoa, you know, <laughs> this, this guy seems uh, really angry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there and his, his arguments were... Again, I struggle for I struggle with this because it, you try to put put yourself in his position and 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 your your best evidence do, isn't always the most compelling evidence. But his constant recitation of of how his entire staff was women, if you're looking at it from the anti-Kavanaugh side, that's like the opposite of a of a positive, right? I mean, it's easy it's easy to re- to read that both ways. Um yeah. and especially in 2018 when he kept saying I've been confirmed for court after court, subject to numerous background checks. Don't you think this would have come to light by now if that were the case? I mean, listen, 
go through the list of every of every significant man who has been taken down in the past six or eight months, right? I mean, how you can you can construct this sentence? I've been the president of CBS of CBS for decades. Don't you think this would have come to light by now? I've been producing movies for decades. Don't you think this would have come to light? I've been America's dad for decades. Don't you think this serial rape would have come to light by? I mean, no. This is the moment that we're in right now, where people are empowered to make these accusations in public. So anyway, I mean, that's all to say. You know, he said it goes back to what we were saying before. He sounds like he's married. He 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 was an actor making a very compelling case for himself. The the volume, the the scale was correct. I can't. I wasn't particularly compelled by anything that he said. Do you do you buy the the theory that he he thought he was toast and he was essentially auditioning for whatever his next act is, where I was a victim of the orchestrated liberal hit, as he put it, of the Clintons, no. of all this kind of stuff. And that, you know, by drawing these things out in my opening statement and clearly focusing, you know, hitting all these nice little buttons, right, that Trump plays all the time, these notes, um, that this I'm just setting myself up for whatever's next. I mean, if that's true, it's very, I mean, it's it's doubly Trumpian, right? Because that was sort of, I mean, there, there are many who believe that that was the last several months or the entirety of Trump's campaign. Just let's set myself up for whatever comes after it. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I fully buy that. I think that the, I think that that is a, that is a, and I mean, there's a way in which that explains his presentation today a little bit more believably than anything else. But I, but I still think that I mean, he must be aware that the odds of his confirmation are still very high. Um, and, you know, I, I just can't imagine that, I, I can't imagine that he would have deliberately gone, uh, you know, go, gone all in on blowing, just like exploding everything and, and planning on that, the, the second career. I, I, just, I just don't, I, I, I don't, I just can't buy, I just can't buy the logic of it. The far more compelling theory is the audience of one. I need to show Donald Trump. Hey, I need to give Donald Trump a good reason to stand by me right now. Yeah. And I need to give, you know, I need to give Republicans broadly, if not maybe the particular swing votes, you know, I'm not sure that was, you know, directed towards Susan Collins. Right. But I mm -hmm. need to give, you know, the masses of Republicans. I mean, I, I honestly felt after the first half of today, there was a, there was a lot, there were people saying this all week, but there was a fairly decent chance that, you know, I think it it felt like this is this is done, right? This is the he is not going to be the nominee. He's not going to be the nominee tomorrow. Um, I think afterwards, I think by throwing as much red meat out as he did, uh, he gave he at least sort of rallied the base. And we should we and we we need to note Republican senators basically dropped the prosecutor a couple of rounds in on the second half. Yeah. And all sort of came out and made this. I would, I want to apologize to you, sir, for what you've had to endure. Well, they, so they, they dropped it and you, I mean, talking about conspiracy theories and talking about an audience of one, um, this conversation would not be complete without discussing Lindsey Graham's, uh, just rabid, rabid is one way to say it. Whoa. Um, takedown of the what he saw as the you know, the the democrat the whatever sneak attack and this one being the worst moment in the history of american politics which you know and no is, we need no tweets about about gunplay around the house in the past to uh to 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 make it clear that is that this was just a farce on its face but um 
you know, I think that it's I think it's pretty clear for anyone that was confused watching that. I think it's pretty clear that the theory that that you know Senator Graham is auditioning to be the next uh, to be the next Attorney General is is probably pretty valid. And uh, his his general change of heart towards Donald Trump over the past several months uh, has been pretty conspicuous. What a strange um, trip through the media he's had. Yeah, I mean, talk about a guy. It's like everybody digs up the old tweets. The the guy on the Straight Talk Express to this. My my quote I wrote down from him today when he was talking to uh, Kavanaugh was to say, "Would you say you've been through a job interview, or would you say you've been through hell?" Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, um, yeah." So he's gonna. So he's he's all. I mean, if you had said again, everything in everything in Trump world is. Can you imagine this two years ago? But if if I told you that. Lindsey Graham would be auditioning to be the Trumpian attorney general and be mm-hmm. more Trumpian than Jeff Sessions. Mm-hmm. The Jeff Sessions would be found wanting. And Lindsey and Lindsey Graham, now there's a guy I can trust in Trump's eyes. I, I don't think you would have believed that. There's no way you would have believed that. No, I mean, and I think that I, 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 this is going to come off sounding like even more of an insult than the fuck I guess it is. But I was like, I, it would, I would be more willing to believe that Lindsey Graham would trade in his would trade a performance like his performance today for some vague future military intervention than for a different job posting. You know, what I mean, I guess that was the Lindsey. That's the Lindsey Graham that I thought I had, <laughs> I had, I had come to know over the years. That's you know, down, but, that's a down payment you figured he was making today, not uh, not to be, not yeah, mere, but, not merely to be Attorney General. Yeah, but I think that the Attorney General line makes a lot more sense, and I think that it. I mean, I think I think that it's you know, especially with the session situation, it's it's relatively compelling. And you know, Trump will love the story of he loves the story of bringing in former prodigal, uh, you know, Republicans to his into the fold. I'm not sure what's in it for anybody at this point, but I guess if Trump, I guess if the Republicans don't get slaughtered in the midterms and the Russia investigation doesn't target Trump, then you know they do have to start thinking about the next the next six years. So, uh, you know, maybe there's something there's, that's a calculation that someone like Graham would make, but all of that doesn't do justice to his just mad dog routine today, which was just so over the top. In some ways it was a refreshing sort of, uh, return to just not, not particularly the politics of your, but like the politics of that only existed in movies in the seventies and eighties, you know, of just <laughs> down, like down to the Southern this, accent. Yeah. Yeah. This sort of parliamentary smoke filled room, like just jawing at each other over some incredible, just perceived indiscretion sort <laughs> chewing, of politics. Chewing scenery. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, he came ready to play today because that it didn't start in the second half when he was questioning no. Kavanaugh. It started in the hallway at, I believe the first break of Dr. Ford's testimony or the second break. He, or maybe it was lunch, which was, I believe the second break. He was, he was all in to reporters out in the hallway, uh, saying he had been ambushed. Um, again, making this very, very sort of delicate argument that she was the victim. He was actually one of the first people I heard say that today. Um, he came with a very, very distinct agenda. In his first, and we, and maybe we can play some of that or play some of his other speech, but in the, in his speech in the hallway, the part about her being a victim was a little bit of a tag on at the end. It, he kind of he he put that on, and I don't and not and that's not to say it wasn't a central part of his line of thinking, but but it did feel a little bit like he was trying that part out in the hallway, like the rest he was convicted of, and and then he kind of like walked away and turned back, and he was just like, and Doctor Ford is as big a victim as anybody else, you know, and and uh, he said, oh, I think I believe he said it was something like almost as big a victim, right, or she is, or vice yeah. versa, right. Um, I mean, I think that it's, 
I, I think that interesting a lot was, use of the word victim in all this. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot was lost in the in the timeline and in the sequence of the of the present. I mean, Kavanaugh said he said he hadn't even watched uh, Doctor Ford's uh, testimony, um, which I think. You know, in this case, that real- may actually be true. Just like functionally, he was sitting in a room and it was not on. Yeah, but I think that you know to Normally have him go I wouldn't on. Believe that, but for for him to go on second in his own defense, not really knowing the you know what had been said about him, I thought was was you know was pretty shocking. And 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 I I think it was deliberate. I mean, I think that's that's the, his testimony is what was intended to be left in our minds, and his his indignation is his his outrage and and uh, as, you know when when. Senator Kennedy, you know, closed things out. His belief in God uh, was was, I guess, what would what people really people really wanted to, or the Republicans really wanted to leave us with. A couple of stranger moments today. One was the uh, potential future justices of the Supreme Court talking about the difference between pat, between going to sleep after you've had lots of drinks, oh my god, and blacking out after you've had lots of drinks, or passing out, passing out. Um, and Blacking but, out was the larger conversation, but someone asked if he'd ever passed out, and he said, "Oh, I've gone to sleep." I've gone to sleep. That was a, that was I. I feel one of those bizarro world college conversations that it just somehow is now in, uh, is now in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Another one was the yearbook um, business, <laughs> which we relitigated. Um, he apologized. Uh, for the whole Renate alumnus thing, uh, arguing somewhat, I thought, or not somewhat, completely unconvincingly, that this woman who went to a different school was their friend, and they were merely trying to salute uh, her friendship with a bunch of guys on the football team. And the woman, of course, had said earlier in, in uh, one of the reports this week that she didn't know she was in the yearbook. So they had done this, they had made this sort of mass gesture to her in their senior yearbook, but had not bothered to tell her. Uh, more broadly, David, you and I are public school products. By the way, no, no, not not just that, but that he—I mean—that he that he reacted with incredible revulsion and again indignation. To her up, yeah, yeah. He's like, look what you were doing to this fine woman. They were re-vic- look what you were doing to- her by <laughs> yeah. by saying by asking the question: Is this is is this what you implied? You and I are both public school products. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a here's an important difference between public school and Georgetown Prep. Uh-huh. You do not have like a half a page to riff in your yearbook or put quotes. Do you remember, remember our no. yearbooks, David? It was it was a photo and our name. <laughs> this yeah, is, there, this there is was all no, new world to me. I'm like, what? There was there wasn't even like your graduate your senior quote that went right under your name. We had we had I mean it was a it was a nice yearbook. We paid you know or forty or dollars or fifty dollars whatever it was for it, and it was it looked worth every penny. But it was a. Uh, it, it was there was there was no room for messing around. We got like one glossy page for you know, for whatever club we were in, and that was it. The whole idea of a yearbook is like your precursor to your Facebook page. Uh, oh, yeah. I just didn't. As that is that is that is absolutely new to me. Let's talk about the media coverage a little bit because these spectacles now are we are all watching this, and then we are watching other people watching this. Um, a couple things. One is I watched a lot of NBC. I think NBC finally figured out what to do with Megyn Kelly. Uh, yeah. much more effective. I, I did. I, I think I, uh, disagreed with 98% of the things she said on air today, much more effective as like the new George will conservative person on the set, uh, as opposed to morning talk show host. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, <laughs> just, they just seem to have solved that problem. Um, a couple of tweets stood out to me. One was John Podoritz 
uh, who was the editor of commentary, when Dr. Ford was testifying, she said she referred to the term sequelae, which means that I'm looking at the uh, Wikipedia here, a pathological condition resulting from disease, injury, therapy, or off, or other trauma, right? Which is obviously he had never heard of it. So he just he just tweeted sequelae. And I and I just I just love that the professional writer mm-hmm. <laughs> is the professional writer hasn't heard of the word and thinks it's really funny, so he tweets. Yeah, like, that's just that's just such good 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 material, right? No, no, no. I mean, I in some ways I admire that because that sort of insecurity is what's driven me off Twitter for the most part. So I you know just to be able to act really stupid in front of thousands of people and not feel bad about it. That's there, there's a gift to that. <laughs> what is the art of live tweeting one of these things? Because I think that was that, uh, that is just it always amazes me when we have those moments where everyone is truly locked in on something, and you can see everyone. You can just look at them and they're going, "How do I get in on this?" Right? I mean, with something like this, there's plenty of genuine emotional reaction, uh, especially to our opening statement. But there's also a lot of what? How do I? How do I get in on this public media event? Well, I mean, I was I was particularly comp- I mean interested in something like the the conservative side, and I and I, I'm not talking about just the MAGA side, but um, you and I were we both. We the, I think our conversation day started with you emailing me a Rich Lowry t- tweet, the editor of National Review, and went back and forth, kind of looking at some stuff that he was tweeting about and some other people. You mentioned John Podoritz, and 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 uh, I think that that was really compelling because the. T- they, the the goal was not i mean the mission was not to to live tweet in the way that we normally live tweet normally you live tweet something in a joking way you yeah, know in a way it, it, with it's all jokes even if it's something you love i watch a wrestling pay-per-view i live tweet i make fun of you know i make light of what's going on in the ring you do it with a football game you do it with a basketball game you know your basketball tweets are all about blown plays or b- about somebody's you know, new tattoo or the, you know, shoe coming off or something. And, uh, and that, that's not possible, right? That That's not like, even if you, at least in the first half today, I'd say, by the, least, I would say by the time of his opening statement, Kavanaugh's opening statement, we were pretty much back in that zone. We're pretty close. Well, I, I there was think a lot so, of genuine there, rage, but there were a lot of like Will Ferrell screaming gifts and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think that you had to treat it like, I think that for, for on the, from the conservative side, you had to treat this like an important thing, right? Because if you're, if you're, if you're acting at least nominally in defense of, um, of Kavanaugh, then this was a re- this is a really serious day, you know, for for justice in America. I think that's that's so you could say that on both sides, but um, you know, and then at some point the move on the Republican side goes from just sort of you know, it, it, so so I guess all that is to say a lot of the conservatives that I was watching were just sort of narrating, you know, the sort of tweeting that you see, mm-hmm. um, the kind of the kind of tweeting that you see from really terrible accounts during football games when someone's just like Rams got the first down, you know, like forty five. <laughs> I love those like, tweets, especially yeah. if you're not in the press box. You're just letting us all know, just in case. Yeah, I'm- exactly. Yeah, it's just yeah, just like you know, twenty five yard rush, first down. You know, and you're like, please, this is just so terrible. Uh, I'm watching. So that's what yeah. that's what a lot of it. That's what a lot of it was, and then and then at some point it became responding to. Um, either liberal indignation or just general confusion, and outrage, and just with 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 a, with kind of straight faced, you know, yes, he didn't do anything wrong. He's outraged because people are accusing him of things. You know, just kind of like semi sardonic ants replies to other people's sarcastic or, or confused tweets. I don't know, but it is an inter- it is a really interesting thing. I think you're right. In general, most people were just going. I mean, the Twitter in general was. Uh, having a field day with Kavanaugh. Um, 
And the line, I mean, so many of the questions were just so, just so juicy, you know? I mean, it wasn't just his, his demeanor and his, his, I keep saying presentation, but his, his tone of voice, um, all the stuff about, like you said, the Renata thing, but there was the Devil's Triangle, which, who, which the Wikipedia page was subsequently edited to include, to make it into a drinking game and not just a sex game, um, the the concept that boof meant fart, which is just patently untrue. Yeah, <laughs> the you know the squee thing, like all of it was just like no no one else no one else no no one else remembers boof being uh, defined like that. No, if you had said it was a reference to the female lead in Teen Wolf, I would have given you I would have given you partial credit, but otherwise, no. Um, yeah, the whole thing was just absolutely nuts. I mean, it, there was it was there was just so much grist for the Twitter mill. Yeah, the um. I know we're not doing overworked Twitter joke of the week. That didn't mean people didn't send me them. JW uh, pointed out to one, and this is in, I think, actually funny category, was during his opening statement. About a million people tweeted, wow, someone tell Brett to smile more. You know, uh, re- mm-hmm. <laughs> taking the, us- <laughs> the thing usually used as a uh, weapon against any woman uh, <laughs> who dares to look anything but uh, totally happy. Um, that was tweeted by... Literally everyone on Twitter, including George Takai, uh, today <laughs> we were all we were all Matt Iglesias, uh, Dana Schwartz. We were all on the same page on that one. Um, <laughs> he was uh, he 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 came. I mean that that whole uh, Dave Zirin, <laughs> Oliver Willis. I mean it was like kind of like all of liberal Twitter uh, united at that moment to to come up with that one. I didn't watch too much. I didn't watch too much cable news. Like I said, it, it was I, I was struck by how this this was a long day of television, by the way, and there were a lot of breaks, and you know it was a long day of testimony, and then uh, Chuck Grasley, who probably deserves his own segment of this podcast, would call, call a quick timeout, and we'd go and you know Chuck Todd. I also thought it was the media coverage was interesting because, like I said earlier, they there were different people were reaching almost totally different conclusions at different times of day. I think, I think again, early on in Ford's testimony and even after her testimony, there, there was something of a consensus that this was, this nomination was really in trouble and it was in trouble, not because of people thought it was in trouble, but because there was reporting coming out of the white house that Donald Trump was, was, was close. Uh, By the end of the day, I think, as you pointed out, there's at least as thin as it is, as whether it's convincing or not, there's there is a line that conservatives can rally around, which is that this guy is the victim of what Clarence Thomas called a high tech lynching. And that, you know, the, the, the point here is about, uh, you know, standing up for the wrongfully accused. And I put that in giant air quotes, uh, rallying against the Democrats, you know, that kind of thing. I think there's I think I think at the end of the day and so you could more, you could imagine more okay they're going to they're going to lean on Collins and Flake and they're going to get this they're going to get this through. Yeah. Um just a quick p- point of clarification from earlier. Sure. Um Rebecca Ballhouse from the Wall Street Journal had tweeted before uh Kavanaugh's testimony that he was watching the, that he was watching Dr. Ford's testimony from a monitor in another room in the Senate building. Um, which then Kavanaugh denied. I said he had not watched when he gave his testimony, and subsequently, um, the Wall Street Journal reporter clarified that an aide had told her that that he had been watching, but later admitted it to say that he had he was too busy working on his uh, on his testimony to watch. 
uh, take make of that what you will. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that we that you know we've all been proven time and t- wrong time and time again when it comes to as uh, when it comes to trying to count votes from uh you know from from desk chairs far away from the Capitol. Um, but it does feel like it it does it does it does feel like that the I mean to me at least that um. I, I am sure that that uh, Mitch McConnell knows exactly how many votes that he has at any given moment, but and it, but it feels to me like he doesn't think he has enough. He's not sure about that. He's not sure that he has enough to cross the threshold right now. Um, and at least that was going into today. And I and and I think it's a I think it's a real toss up as to whether or not tonight today made um, you know a difference. It's hard to imagine to me. That, t- that that anything that happened today pushed anybody into the Kavanaugh column. But that said, I think that the Kabuki aspect of this is real. And if they go in tomorrow, you know, acting like it was a great success, and of course we're going to have this vote, and this is what all of America wants, you know, I think that that's it. I think that there's a, that there's a probably a mystical, lo- you know, political logic in that that could appeal to some of the, you know, swing votes. If you if you're betting on anything that happens in the United States Senate to be kabuki theater, uh, I think uh-huh. you're going to win that bet. I think you're I think you're good to go. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. think I don't think it has it has always been such. I think I think it's funny because we do talk about how this you know is the 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 great cliche of Trump is it's like a reality show. It's a reality show. It's kind yeah. of always been a reality show, but I think what Trump has done has made it more self-consciously a reality show. I still go back to John McCain in that last sort of dramatic thumbs down he gave to Obamacare repeal, saying, watch the show, telling reporters that, as if he sort of gotten caught up in it too. And that, you know, with Trump, you know, tweeting right afterwards and Trump, you know, sort of making sure everyone's by the dial and that he is in fact by the cable news dial the whole way. It just it just feels like it becomes even something as serious and as, you know, heart wrenching and stomach turning as the kinds of things we heard about today. It becomes this, you know, must see TV event, and that everyone involved is participating in that in a way. From Michael Avenatti and the way he teases his revelations to the president to all the way through, um, it's just like everyone has, has sort of has you know divergent interests, but the one interest they all have is that we're all sort of watching this together and we know what time it starts. We're all by the TV. We're all tweeting, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I did have a thought today. I mean, this is totally, this is so far afield, but there was a moment about uh, probably during the break between the two testimonies today where I was just looking at the the level of attention that this was getting online on Twitter, on Ringer Slack and wondering just like, you know, why doesn't the NBA play a first round series at noon? this year you know like why don't why don't we just totally play into this to play into the fact that everybody's watching tv at their desk you know i mean it's it's it was it was it was such a show remember remember before tv at your desk when you would just do work (laughs) yeah i don't think we were i don't think we were old enough to remember but um almost yeah but yeah when you would well no but we remember we remember the days where you would we remember the days where you would have to like minimize internet windows <laughs> that didn't involve your work or somehow like the wrestling just chat find, room yeah yeah just find you had to find the right wrestling chat room that looked that had like a white background that could yeah. pass as like a, a legitimate website a word doc yeah 
Oh yeah, cutting and pasting things into words so it looked legit. Yeah, no, yeah, and, that, and that's part of what's different now too is that we can just all consume this stuff in real time sure. in a way that we couldn't before. I mean, I just just like again, like it'd be it'd be amazing to get in the time machine just to see, you know, to go and drop into an American office on the first or second day of Anita Hill uh, and Clarence Thomas and look around and be like, are anybody watching this? Are they, you know, do we go, are we all going home at six o'clock to watch Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw talk about this and then yeah. read it in the newspaper the next day when it lands on your driveway? Yeah. As opposed to this, again, real time reality show quality to it where it's like, it is all happening instantly. We're all talking about it instantly. Yeah. It's just, that is certainly a, a feature of this world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think my big takeaways from today, I mean, listen, the one, one name that I don't think has come up in this podcast so far is Neil Gorsuch, which kind of. Um, should have been he should have been said by many people over and over again today to an extent that he hadn't because this ridiculous line of argument that like the Democrats that this is just some this like broad plan to stymie any Trump nominee right um, so why didn't they do it to to Gorsuch yeah and then everything that sort of follows that argument is this sort of very well I mean very Trumpian sort of like like uh, active I mean just uh, recitation of this self-loathing where you just blame other people for things that you've done yourself you know or things that you're that you hate about yourself um and yeah it's like we're gonna just forget that Gorsuch existed and then just and then basically just blame the Democrats for our own late Obama era obstruction of the Supreme Court nominee um I do think that there is a way in which uh Again, I I, I I hate that that my mind has to go there, but some of the some of the over some of the emoting today from the from the Republican side, some of the overacting, although it was certainly in service of 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 the Kavanaugh nomination, felt like a preamble to um, just total disruption if the Democrats retake power. Uh, that that this was the moment in which the Democrats formally lost the trust of the Republican side and that anything is fair game from the Republicans moving <laughs> forward. So mark my words, if this happens, uh, if that happens, I I, saw, I said it today. That, that, uh, that was a quality of today where it's like that's where you use – that's where every time – everybody this – is, this is politics immemorial. We were doing this as a search for truth and then fill in the blank party got political. Yes. Absolutely. And of course, all the Democrats quick saying, no, 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 it's Merrick Garland was the moment this truly became political. You're right. This is this is a good it's always a winning argument uh, to do that. All right, David, I think that's the press box for today. I think we've this is emergency podcast has gone the full length of a podcast. Once again, we're good at this. That we let's, let's do it. Let's uh, let's uh, see if we have any more news over the next couple of weeks. I can't imagine. Uh, All I'm right. If you figure out what boof means, we're going to have another emergency podcast. Over yeah, an etymological uh, inquiry. All right, our producer is Jim Cunningham. Research is Chris Almeida. Thanks, David. Back at our usual time next Tuesday for more hot takes about the media. See you then, buddy. Uh, just before we go, I just wanted to clarify. I, I like beer. I used to like beer. I've always liked beer. I will continue to like beer. Let that be entered into the, into the record without objection. See you later. Bye.